You're listening to Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Activia. Activia offers a range of yogurts that help support a healthy gut. Your gut is where it all begins. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry. Welcome to the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Folks, on this week's show, we're chatting with the amazing Jerry Hussey. I interviewed him recently for Workplace Wellbeing Day, and it was so good, I wanted to bring the content over onto the podcast platform. It's got five ways to maximize your potential and lots, lots more. And I know you're going to love it. Now, Jerry Hussey, how's it going? How are you? Very good, Carl. Great, uh, great to see you, and hello to everybody. It's good to catch up with you. So listen, I suppose let's start with the obvious. Over the course of the last 12 to 14 months, both workplace well-being and, and personal well-being has been challenged more than ever before from a mental perspective and a physical perspective. It's been a tough roller coaster of, uh, of time. Yeah, it sure has. It sure has. And it has been, you know, it has brought up lots of different things for different people. And I think that's when we spoke before, like, Carl, I was saying to people, this idea that we're all in together, maybe we are, but we're all in in different ways. So the emotions that has brought up for someone initially, probably we all had a little bit of fear, a little bit of anxiety. And then as those emotions go, it kind of changes to fatigue, boredom, stress, anger. And then some people have lost, you know, maybe lost a job. Some people have lost someone they love. So it could be bereavement or grief. So as we get to this stage uh, of, of being in something for so long, the emotions that we all experience are slightly different. So the first thing we all have to identify is, you know, what's actually the emotion I'm feeling? Is it fear? Is it joy? Is it anger? Um, is, have, is it bereavement? Am I in the middle of dealing with that? And we all have to, you know, own our own emotion and know that no emotion is either right or wrong. It's just information. And once we have an emotion, it's not right or wrong, but what's wrong is not to deal with it. So, if you're bored, frustrated, if you're angry, know that it's perfectly okay to experience that emotion, but also know that every emotion can be changed. So even now, as people begin to, as you said, we've got great news around this, you know, as you said, breaking out would be like, uh, be like young cattle being released into an open field. Um, and yet for some people, that will bring up um, some anxieties because it'll mean, you know, uh, it'll mean back to commuting. It'll mean back to, so we've got so familiar with this world that when it all changes again, for, so, for some people who've got quite relaxed and have, have managed and become very comfortable in this environment, the thoughts of going back to the, the, the pre-COVID world is actually bringing up some anxiety. So all I'd say to people today is, you know, spend time to think about what's the emotion I'm experiencing right now. What's the root of that emotion? Is that an emotion I'd like to hold on to, or would I like to change it? And if, you can, if you'd like to change it, then no, you can. And I think this is important for people who've registered for today's session, but also for our corporate clients who've registered too, that you, know, you need to look at your teams, look at your managers, because all these emotions that we're feeling, some good, some not so good, we're all feeling them. And hiding away or not having that conversation is not good for our physical well-being or emotional well-being. So, you know, if you're logging in with fa- chat to family members, chat to your che- teams, chat to your staff, don't be afraid to have that conversation. And it's a really good p- point to start today's session on, Jerry, is look at your emotions on a personal level, but also look around you and chat to the people, your friends, family, colleagues, and ask them how they're feeling. Because you can guarantee, even myself last night, amazing news. 
But this is the first time I've been out of my home office for 14 months. I was slightly anxious yeah. coming into town today yeah, to coming course. into this studio. It's a very different environment. So having those conversations, opening up the conversations around emotions is really important. No, absolutely is, Carl. And I think, you know, and you know this as well as I do, people need to understand that emotions, they're not just fiction things. They're not just um, a kind of a air. Emotion can be seen physically. So an emotion is an electrical and a chemical response. So we need to know that. So every time I feel an emotion, that sends a, a, new, uh, a new circuitry, so a new electrical circuit through the brain, and then that goes into the central nervous system. So every emotion you experience is igniting a different part of the central nervous system. And there are three parts, but there are two we'll focus on. One is the sympathetic nervous system, which is fight or flight. So elevated heart rate, elevated physiology, elevated cortisol, elevated adrenaline. And that's perfectly okay in short term. So when we have an emotion of fear, anxiety, impatience, no, it's not just in your head, that that's actually causing a physical, electrical, and chemical change in the body that we can see. And then the danger with an unresolved emotion is that unless you change the emotion, the central nervous system, the parasympathetic nervous system, will keep firing it. So we stay in that heightened state of adrenaline, that heightened state of cortisol, which means then things like, um, you know, sleep can be suppressed because what we need to sleep is melatonin. So now we, we, we suddenly start to lack sleep. Our mood starts to diminish. So the body and the brain finds it difficult to distinguish between stress, anxiety, and fatigue. So just know that an emotion is also a chemical uh, and an electrical signal that's sent to the central nervous system. And then the central nervous system starts firing according to that. And if we don't resolve it, if we don't take this, the, 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 the nervous system out of sympathetic nervous system and back into parasympathetic system, the parasympathetic nervous system is where we rest, digest, the body gets permission to run filtration processes within the body, to heal, to, to digest our food. So if we're not allowing ourselves, ourselves to switch emotion, then we're not actually switching the central nervous system. And if there's one thing... I'd like everybody to take out of this call today is understanding the difference between the sympathetic and the parasympathetic nervous system and understanding that every emotion sends us an electrical and a chemical signal into the central nervous system so that our emotions are not just something we think about. We feel them, but the body actually starts to feel them and we start to, we can see then from our chemistry where we are. So that's why if we have an unresolved emotion that keep that is keeping us in fight or flight, and that could be a past trauma, it could be a memory. What we also need to know is the brain can't distinguish between what you're thinking about and what's actually happening. So if you're remembering a past trauma, a past argument, then the body, the central nervous system, is responding as if it's already as if it's happening. Or if you're visualizing a future perceived stress, or if you're visualizing something you think is going to be anxious, then your body, your central nervous system, your chemistry is actually responding to that as if it's happening now. So that's why it's very important when we learn to release the past and let that go. And then something I'll talk about a bit later is the power of visualization. A lot of us tend to automatically visualize the worst case scenario. But the problem with that is that sends the body into fight or flight mode. 
and the body starts to respond as if, as if that imagined worst case scenario is already happening. So be careful around the words we use, be careful around the future we, we imagine, the visualization we allow to take place. And just be more and more mindful of what are the unresolved emotions that I'm feeling and how they're showing up in my body, in my chemistry, in my central nervous system. Okay, so in terms of maximizing your potential, like I suppose from what I do in terms of personal training or in terms of wellness, it's looking at your current situation. It's looking at your current emotions. It's analyzing and maybe spending a little bit of time assessing them with a notepad or even you know, with, a, with a counselor or something like that if required. <laughs> and you start there. So you reflect and look at your emotions at currently where they are. Mm-hmm. And then you project forward. And in terms of today's session, it's about teaching people how to maximize that potential. From my perspective, mm-hmm. obviously, in terms of movement, in terms of food, we can do that. But it very much starts with that mental wellness component of looking forward. So let's take people on that journey. So to start with, first step is looking back, looking at your emotions, you know, discussing your emotions with somebody or just looking at them yourself. And not running away from them because that's very much the easy thing to do. Mm-hmm. But you know, being very comfortable with the fact that these are the emotions that you're feeling. Here's why you're feeling them, and then let's look forward to the future about how that future looks. And that visualization is really important. And Jerry, you know, for people at home to do that, presumably a vision board is a very easy way to get into visualization, and then you can use that as a stepping stone for you know meditation practice and visualization that way as well. That's exactly it, Carl. It's a visualization board. Um, so again, just a little bit of the science, we have a thing inbuilt in us called a reticular activation system. Now that's really important because on any given moment, at any given day, there's billions of information bits being loaded into your brain. So around the color, the light, the sound, the smells, everything that's happening in your past, your future, I'm hungry, I'm not hungry, what would I like to eat? So your brain is bombarded by thoughts, by stimulus all the time. The reticular activation system or the RAS, it can't let you be up. You'd be submerged with all those. So it literally, in the blink of an eye, takes 80 to 90% of those information bits and disregards them. Before you even become conscious of them, it discards them. It only selects the information that it thinks you need. So what's the basis for that selection? One is how do I keep Jerry safe? So if Jerry's about to go out in front of a car, Jerry's about to do something. So you have this incredible ability not to do something silly. And if if anybody's ever gone to do a bungee jump, you'll realize that your brain is saying, I want to do it, but your body won't go. So your body has this incredible ability to keep itself safe. But the second thing, Carl, and this is really important, is that it's, it's asking what keeps Jerry safe? And secondly, what is Jerry interested in? And the only way it knows about what you're interested in, it's listening to what you're giving your energy to and what you're thinking about. So if I've been thinking about traffic, if I've been thinking about something negative, if I've been visualizing a bad scenario, then the brain, the RAS system, thinks that's what I want to know more about. So it's almost like a Google. Long before algorithms were invented, we have this inbuilt system. So the more you think about something, is the more your mind goes into the universe, goes into the world, and finds only the data that matches your what you're interested in. So when we set up a vision board, the vision board is a way of presenting us each and every day with the vision of what we want, not what we fear. And then the more we visualize that, two things happen is creates us focus and it gives us the data of what we want, not what we fear. So then the brain goes out and finds the data that matches that. 
The second thing visualization does, and it can be a vision board or we can literally close our eyes and we can run the visualization through our mind. Now, remember what I said earlier, the brain doesn't know if something is happening outside of it or inside of it. So if you can do a strong enough visualization, believe it or not, the, the brain starts to fire the neurological pathways, which are the little wires within the brain. They fire the wires in the brain and they start to build the mental skills that you need to become that. So whether it's playing the piano, hurling, uh, doing an incredible presentation, the more you visualize it is you're actually building the mental skills. And then the more you engage yourself in the emotion of the success, doing the great presentation, having a great team meeting, now your body starts to feel the emotion. And just like I said earlier, every thought is signaling your emotion, which is your chemical response. So visualization alone is telling the RAS system, I want you to find more data cues in the world that match what I'm, what I'm interested in. And it's also changing your physiology away from fear to gratitude, excitement, enthusiasm, because you believe it's going to happen. So that's how powerful visualization is. Every athlete that I've ever walked with over the years does it religiously every day. And it's really about that. Am I tuning into more negative or positive? Am I thinking more about what I don't want or what I want? And the more you commit to seeing in great detail what you want in life is the more than that your mind, your brain will dismiss everything that doesn't match that and will enhance everything that does match that. Does that make sense, Carl? Have I explained that okay? On the money, as always, Jerry. Absolutely. I have two questions in around that uh, and around vision boards. The first one is, what should I put on my vision board? So presumably it's whatever's important to you. Everyone's vision board is different, is looking at what's important, what you want to achieve in terms of maybe wellness. So I do that with clients in terms of, you know, if they want to run a marathon, it's putting that on the board, having a training plan, getting photographs of the race and all that kind of stuff. So for everyone's vision board, it's individual and it's whatever you want to put on your vision board is the important thing to do. Yeah, it can be anything, Carl. Or for me, sometimes what I do is I might have four sections in it. One might be my professional career. One might be my marriage. One might be my relationship with my parents. And one might be my own, how I want to feel. So I might take a picture of how I want to feel. Because remember, how you feel is actually the most important thing that allows you to do everything else. So if I want to be a good husband, a good dad, a good a good son, then I need to feel present. I need to feel calm. I need to feel grateful. So a vision board isn't always just about what you want to do. It can be about how I want to feel. And then another nice slight variation on a vision board, and this could be point number three or not, but it's a personality board. So very often a vision board can be something that focuses on what we want, which is phenomenal. It gives us that clear data of this is what I want my brain to search for. The danger with that at times is if we become overly conditioned, overly focused on what we don't have, then we start to feel that when something's not right. So I would balance my vision board with a personality board. And in that, I would put my name and then I would put words that I want to match. So calm, grateful, present, fun. So it's the exact same concept as a vision board, except what you're now visualizing what you're now manifesting into your life is how do I want to feel? Because that whole idea of life, the ultimate purpose of being is not becoming, not doing. Happiness is not in the future at some other time. This is your life right now. This is 
Everything that exists, exists only in the now. And the greatest skill that we can learn is the skill of extracting the most amount of happiness and the most amount of joy out of what's happening right now. Because we'll never live in a world where everything is perfect. We'll never live in a world where we have everything solved. We'll never live in a world where there is no adversity. So we have to become comfortable even in adversity, even in the unknown, even when I don't have everything solved. I can still focus on what I have, what I'm grateful for, and this inner sense of calm and peace. So a gratitude board and a vision board, when you put them side by side, it gives you that clear intent on what I want to manifest, which is really important. But it also makes you realize that I, I manifesting all of these things will only matter if I'm happy doing it. If it has made me miserable, if I've been miserable for the 10 years it took me to manifest that, then I don't think that's the right way to go about it. So one is the happier you become, the more grateful you become, the more present you become, is the better decisions you make, the more clarity you get, and then the outcome towards achieving these things become equally important. So one is the vision and one is the personality board. Great. We've lots of uh, uh, questions and feedback coming in. This is a really interesting point. I think it's, 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 a, it's a good topic for discussion. Does visualization remove the spontaneity from life? So presumably not. It just gives you direction. It's giving you a steer, a reason to get out of bed in the morning and try to achieve things. But spontaneous stuff still you know, happens along the way. Of course. Well, the line I say is never let a good detour, never, never let a good plan distract you from a great detour. So when I say, like, when we visualize, I visualize what? So when I start off, I said, I'm going to be a speaker. And my vision board was, I had no idea. At that time, as people find out in my book, I had no self-confidence. I had no self-esteem and had a very bad stammer. But something in my head said, I think I'd love to be a speaker. I had no idea how. And what I did was I got a vision board. I, f- I searched magazines until I found a picture of um, Anthony Robbins. And he was standing with this big arena. So I, I cut him out of the picture and it cut me in. And I focused on that. Now, I didn't really know the how or the when. So when I talk about visions, I absolutely believed it was going to happen. But what I was open to was how and when. I think we can stifle, as that good question says, I think we can stifle spontaneity and creativity if we get too attached to how and when. So what do I want? Believe it's happened. Feel the feelings and emotions of it as if it's happened already. Feel the joy because you know it's going to happen. But don't overly be attached to how and when. Because when we get addicted to how and when, then we try to control everything. And when we try to control everything, we're forgetting that the universe has a plan of its own. We forget that we can't control everything. And then if it doesn't start to happen exactly when we want, we start to give out to ourselves, we start to strive, we start to force, and we start to get a bit rejected. So the biggest thing for me was I never really set timelines. I never said, oh, I'm going to be married by this, I'm going to have a child by this. You know, because I can control all of that. But I know I, I knew I knew I wanted to get married. I always knew I wanted to work. So I set the intention, but then every day I let the universe guide me to how and when. You're listening to the latest episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. Yeah, and I, you know, on that, like, I, it's something I, I totally believe in myself. But you know, I, I before the podcast kicked off, I visualized myself listening to my podcast, presenting the podcast, getting really great guests. 
but you know, try and but not knowing how that was all going to happen because I wanted to do it professionally. And you know, this is actually the third anniversary. We, we launched on Workplace Wellbeing Day in Easton's on O'Connell Street three years ago. We're four million listeners uh, on now, and that all came from a dream, an idea, a concept. But you know, the road curves along the way, and that's you know, it's perfectly. It's perfectly normal, like life, life curves, but having an end point to try to get to really is helpful in terms of potential achievement. The next question here brings us on to our next point, I think, which is that, is it like putting it out there to the universe and then surrounding yourself with positive people? Presumably to achieve your potential, that network that you surround yourself with is really, really important, that, that, you know, that they're positive, uh, energetic, that they're, they're like-minded people, but also that they're people who have achieved stuff maybe that you want to achieve? Because I've always done that during my career. And you mentioned there with Anthony Robbins looking at what he had done and trying to kind of, you know, get to that point. Presumably mm -hmm. that direct network in terms of family, friends, colleagues is really important to help you achieve your potential. I think so. And I think sometimes for me, because, you know, I grew up in a very small town and, you know, the jobs everybody did were very different to the job I wanted to do. And when I, you know, people only know what they know. So, People were right when they said, I don't think that job exists because they'd never experienced it. They'd never seen it. Somehow, somehow, somewhere, I managed to stumble across Anthony Robbins. And it's almost like when you look beyond the wall of the castle, you realize there's a big town out there and suddenly the castle isn't that exciting anymore. So even me, somebody might say to me today, do you think such and such job exists? And I might say, no. But the job does exist. I just don't know it. So when somebody says to you, you can't do it or it can't be done, always remember that they only can speak from their own life experience. So if somebody says that can't be done, what they're actually saying is I can't do it or I can't see how I could do it. So it is important to not be too consumed by other people's thoughts or beliefs. Everybody can only speak from their own existence. But no matter how mad or how out there you think your dream is. There's somebody doing it right now. So what I used to do was find out who's doing it and email people. So I used to send letters long before email. I used to send letters to sports psychologists in the UK. I think I told you that before, Carl. I used to hound him and eventually he wrote me a letter back saying like, he kind of just realized I wasn't going to let him off the hook. So he said, <laughs> I'm going to be in Dublin on these days, and I, yeah, let's go and meet you. And I spent the day with him. I, I emailed Anthony Robbins so many times, he had to email me back. It's not about bombarding people, but I think if you express yourself in the right way, like I get emails all the time from young psychologists or young sports psychologists, and all they want is advice. Would you have an hour? And I, you'd always say, yes, of course you would. And it's not that I have it all figured out. I haven't it figured out. But I think first part of the journey and I think people are more approachable and people are more open than we think. So whatever you dream of doing, ask yourself who in the world is doing it right now or who is doing it in a similar way. Could I contact that person? Could I find someone who might know that person? And like I was on a, I was on a call the other day and I was talking in this group I'd never met before. And there's an expression that Bob Dylan used. And he said that when he, I talk about meditation and connecting to the unified field, as you know, and we can talk about that in a few minutes if you want. But Bob Dylan was being challenged by journalists once. And they said, you know, Bob, um, your music has got a bit mainstream. You've kind of sold out. I think we've all kind of know that if there's any Bob Dylan fans, we all kind of know he just went with them. And he kind of laughed and said, yeah, I did. And they said, why don't you write the music you're meant to write, Bob? Write the music you were writing at the start. 
He said, I can't. He said, because when I was listening, when, when I was writing those music, I could hear the roar of the universe. I wasn't distracted by other people. I wasn't distracted by the pressure of trying to be Bob Dylan. I wasn't distracted by anything. I could just write the music I heard from the universe. Now, I told that story to a group I never heard. And my dream was, I'd love to meet Bob Dylan some. I'd love to ask him, what did he mean by hearing the roar of the universe? And then we opened up the, to the floor and I said, has anybody any feedback? One girl put her hand up and says, I actually work for Columbia Records. One of the clients I manage is Bob Dylan, and I know him very well. So when you think about it, when you speak your truths and when you put it out there and you say to the world or you say to people, this is what I want, there's always someone that will say to you, I think I know how I can help you or I can connect you with that person. But if you don't say it, if you don't put it out there, then the connection is right in front of you, but nobody knows you want it. So don't be afraid to dream and don't be afraid to put it out there that these are things that you're working towards and these are things that you're aiming for. Another really good question, I think a guy, I was going to ask you this question anyway because I think it's really good. Basically, what happens if you set these visions and these manifestations, but it doesn't work out? You get the speed bump in the road where you get a knockback or it just doesn't work. What do you do then? And it's a really good question. People set goals all the time and targets all the time. And sometimes, it just, for whatever reason, it just doesn't work. Where do you go to then? Is it stop, reset, learn from the experience and then go again? Or what should people do? Yeah, it's all of those things. I think firstly, I think a goal is only valuable depending on who it makes you become. So if you set a goal and the, having the goal makes you become more, more enthusiastic, learns you, makes you learn new information, go to new places, surround yourself with new people and brings you a sense of excitement, then the goal itself is the the, the journey towards the goal is as important as the goal. And that's why I say about, you know, never be worried about detours. And then come back also and ask yourself, because a lot of people say, well, why would I put that time and effort in if I fail? The only way that's failure is if you get too caught up in the outcome. So for me, one of the greatest books I ever read was The Five Regrets of the Dying. And this lady who managed the end of care life, the end of life care for thousands of people, every religion, every color, every creed, rich, poor, male, female. And she asked them five, she asked them questions. But one of the questions she asked was, what are the regrets you have? And she was blown away that regardless of their color or their religion or their background or their sex, they all said the same thing. They all identified the same five regrets. She was so blown away, she wrote a great book called The Five Regrets of the Dying. Regret number one, I wish I wasn't so hard on myself. I think that we all push ourselves too hard to do something. Regret number two, I wish I spent more time with the people I loved. Regret number three, I wish I had the courage to follow my dreams. Regret number four, I wish I took more time to be present in my life as it was happening. And regret number five, I wish I worried less about what other people think. That is the biggest motivator I have in my life, that book and those five regrets. So if you look at the one, I wish I had the courage to follow my dreams. I've worked with athletes who dreamed, who dreamt of becoming an Olympic athlete, put their life and soul into it, became an Olympic athlete, but never won a medal. Now, 20 years later, you could meet that and say, do you wish you won a medal? I'd say yes. Do you regret going after it? No. Do you regret putting your heart and soul into your dream? Never. 
you will never regret going after your dream. Whether it works out or, or doesn't work out, it will leave you in a better place. And ultimately, it leaves you in a place with no regret. The tragedy in life or the tragedy of life is not death. Death happens. It's a natural progression and natural transition. The tragedy of life is at the end and realizing you never lived. You spend your life waiting, playing safe, making up excuses, listening to self-limiting stories, and you never actually back yourself. So if you set a goal and it excites you, it brings fun into your life, it brings adventure into your life, it makes you get out of the familiar, out of the stuff that is no longer for you, and it makes you become somebody that you love, somebody that when you look in the mirror, you're proud of that person looking back. If it brings joy in your heart, if it ignites your soul, and it gives you a sense that life is an adventure to be, to be enjoyed, then you've actually achieved already. The outcome will be what it's meant to be. But to not go after your dreams, to play small, I think regret is actually the biggest failure of all time. And I think once you go after something with all your heart and all your soul, I think you've won already. I think there is no failure then. Yeah, and of course, flipping your mindset to realizing that failing, if you, don't, if you don't aim to achieve something and do your very best to achieve it, and we've all done that, I've done that several times with Ironman triathlons and ultramarathons where I haven't finished them, and you have that horrible DNF, and you go home with your head in your hands, you reflect on it over the course of the week, and you know what, I tried to run 100 miles, I couldn't do it, I ended up in, in hot, whatever, but I learned from it, and, I, I, you know, and you learn from that experience. I think if things don't work out, it's, it's reflecting, it's looking at it, learning from it, but not being afraid to go to, to achieve your potential, to do your best, to mm. do things that you didn't think were possible. But if you believe in it mm. and try it, it took me four attempts or three attempts to finish my first Ironman. It took me five attempts to break four hours in the marathon. I'm a normal person. I'm not one of the super fit people. I've got to work extremely hard at it for any of those targets that I try and do. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. But I've no fear of not finishing something or failing at something because just sometimes they don't work out. But you learn from it. And I think once you flip your mindset to learning from something, I think it's really, really beneficial. Jerry, mm -hmm. there's loads of questions coming in, so I'm going to stick to this format for a while yeah. if that's okay with you. They're, they guide us kind of nicely along the chat anyway. Um, how can I balance a negative, highly pressurized workplace mindset versus creating a positive home life, having anxiety around returning to work soon? I think that's a really good question. A lot mm -hmm. of people are sitting at home slightly anxious at the thought of back into the workplace, very pressurized environment, how can they balance that kind of potentially negative environment and try and make it more positive? What's the best way to do that? Yeah, I think two things. I think, uh, you know, this is the biggest breakthrough I've ever had in my life, that your internal world, your central nervous system, your brain, your gut, and your inner chemistry, your mindset is not actually attached to the outside world. We think it is, but it's not. And it's certainly not conditioned. It's not defined by the outside world. Now, we know this. So if anybody on this call or anybody listening to this suffers from anxiety or depression, you know that you can be in the calmest physical environment in the world, but you can feel highly anxious. People who suffer from depression will know that you can be in the happiest physical outer environment in the world, but inner you feel sad. So it is absolutely possible that our inside world feels totally different to our outside world. So that is a breakthrough because we can reverse that now. So you can be in a sad or you can be in a hostile, you can be in an angry outer environment, but you don't have to feel angry or hostile. So what I would say to that person is in every environment, we have to ask, what am I focusing on? 
What am I thinking about? Can I reframe it? When I talk about pressure, what is pressure? Is pressure in your it perceived? Is it a head or is it applied pressure? And all we, any of us can do is our very best. And that has to be enough for us because we can only do our best. And sometimes we get sucked into other people's expectations. Sometimes people come to one of my talks and, you know, the title of the talk might be deal with the subconscious mind. And I deliver a talk on the subconscious mind. And then somebody leaves and says, Jerry, I'm very disappointed with that because you didn't talk about gut health. Their expectation of me was totally unrealistic. But I'm not disappointed by that. So people can have expectations of you. But we can't live our life trying to live up to other people's expectations. So all I can do is my very best. So I would be saying, what in my environment am I focusing on? What about my environment am I attached to? What about my job am I overly focused on? What about my job has I, have I forgot? So in ultimately, in every situation, in every environment, there are only three things we can do, and it's A, C, or E. One is accept the A, accept it and do nothing about it, which it doesn't sound like this person wants to do. The C has two parts. One is change your environment. So is there something I can do to make more fun, more joy, more laughter, to release the pressure in the environment? Is there a conversation I need to have? Is there a question I need to ask? I'm not a victim of my environment. So is there something I can do to change the environment? The second option of the C is change your response to the environment. So if you can't change the environment and the environment is making you sad, then you have to ask, can I change my response to it? Can I change my attachment? Can I change my thinking around it? Can I change the way I look at it? And then finally, you have A, C, and E. And ultimately, the last is E. And I know people find this difficult at times, but none of us are victims. We are free to move and to leave. And that is the greatest gift you have, the gift of freedom of choice. And people think I have no choice, but you often have far more choice than we believe. And ultimately, the greatest gifts that we have are health, and time. And time is so, so scarce and precious. We have 900 months on this planet. We sleep 300, which gives us 600. And at my stage in my life, I have less than 300 left. I'm only giving my time to things that deserve it. And secondly, my health is my greatest gift. And I will not give myself or my energy or my time to it something that takes me away from my healthy state of being or robs me of health. So when you think about at the deepest level, who am I? What do I want in this life? How do I want to fail? You will then ignite this power within to focus on what you want to focus on. Attach what you want to attach to. Using your breathing routines, changing your diet, all of these things have a direct and immediate impact on your mental health, your good health, your central nervous system. And the more you calm that inner world, the more you use those simple techniques to bring a state of calm and ease, now you begin to think more clearly and you can ask the bigger questions. What is my life about? Is this the life I dreamed about? Oh, I knew, you're gonna get, I knew you were going to get to the what's important now at some stage. And I was going to go there anyway. You, you beat me to it. Before we get into that, so what, I just want to pick up on something you mentioned there. I think it's really important, which is that, you know, 
In terms of wellness and achieving your potential, you're not aiming for perfection, because I'm not sure perfection exists anywhere, except maybe unfiltered Instagram posts by you know, influencers with amazing light and amazing angles, and it all mm. looks wonderful and, and perfect. It's not. And I think Jerry's point about trying to be the best that you can be from day to day to day is what we should all aim for. And that's what I would aim for myself. And some days you mm. nail it, and it's an amazing day. Other days you don't. But that's perfectly fine and not being too hard on yourself because the longer term goal is achieving your potential, improving your potential. Some days are perfect, some days are not. That doing your best from day to day is really, really important. And we've loads of questions coming in and we'll try and get to some more of them in a, in a minute. Yeah. Sherry, I want to pull back, back to that because I know you and I have chatted several times and I always find it very deep and meaningful. I sit back and listen to you and think through my <laughs> own thoughts as you talk through it. But that what's important now principle is really important for you. And for people who are tuning in, we have big numbers on today's session, which is great as part of Workplace Wellbeing Day. That identifying what's important to you is a really important takeaway, not just for your potential, but for overall wellness and overall kind of, I suppose, contentment. Finding what, what is important to you is absolutely crucial. It is because there's only one me, there's only one you, Carl. There is no other Carl Henry on this planet. And I found it very difficult because I grew up with a voice that was very critical of myself, always looking at more, always giving out to myself. No matter what I won, I always wanted to improve. But the problem with that is you get addicted to looking at what's not right. You get addicted to looking at what you don't have. So what I had to do then was start changing my in. So I started using a, a lady called Louise Hay, changing my language, changing my inner stories. And I started saying a thing like, I am the greatest me that ever existed. I am in a league of my own. Now, people initially thought that was kind of uh, arrogant. But listen, there is no other me. So I am the greatest me that ever existed. And I am in a league of my own, which reminds me to stop comparing myself to others. Everybody has their own journey. Everybody is a different starting point and a different end point. I am the only one that's on this journey. And my life has to make sense only to me. My decisions have to make sense only to me. And ultimately, I am the only one who knows what makes me happy. I am the only one that knows what brings me alive. So I, when I tune into myself and start to listen to myself, and I stop comparing, I stop judging, I stop looking to the outside world for answers, I go into my heart and I ask myself a question. What is my heart asking me to do? Or a simple way of asking this question is, what would love do? If I really, really loved myself and didn't care what other people thought, what would I be willing to do? What would I be willing to go after? What would I stop saying to myself? Each and every one of us is a single, perfectly imperfect gift of the universe. You have never existed before and you'll never exist again. Now, when you think that today, what day is this today, Carl? Today is the... Workplace Wellbeing Day, Friday, end of April. Okay. This day will never, ever happen again. So this is a day you've never had before. It's a day you'll never get again. And you, so it's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, and you are a once-in-a-lifetime entity. That's why I have this expression that every single day is a lifetime and every lifetime is a day. Now, we can back that up with science because, as you know, Carl, every cell in the human body is changing all the time. Your gut, 
your blood, your every single thing in your body is changing all the time. There is no part of your physical body that is present now that was present 10 years ago. So the body's changing all the time. The sky, the air, the ocean is changing. There's a beautiful expression that says, no man steps in the river twice. Because when he steps in the second time, the water is different and he is different. So every day I ask myself, what is the greatest day I would love to have today? What are the things I would want to go after today? And at the end of the day, whether I've done it or not, I make peace with the day and I ask myself three questions every night. One, what did I learn today? Secondly, what can I be grateful for today? And thirdly, what do I need to let go of today? Because sometimes we drag the emotions, the fear, the negativity of the past, and we drag them into the future. And if we do that, then we're actually infecting the physiology of the present, the brand new physiology, but we're infecting that with the emotions of the past. So we know trauma and old memories and old emotions can change the physiology. So we have to realize that you are the only you that has ever existed. Only you know what makes you happy. Only you know the food that is good for you. And only you know deep down why you were put on this planet. And there's a beautiful expression that says, the pen that writes the, the story of your life should be held firmly in your own hand. So ask yourself today, am I a free decision maker in my own life? And whatever about restriction, but even within the restriction, nobody can restrict where your mind goes, what you think about. Nobody restricts the food you eat. Nobody restricts the emotions you experience, the visualization you do, the meditations you do. Your mind and your ability to manifest is infinite. And that is where you have ultimate and infinite freedom all the time. As ever, Jerry, when we chat, we could spend probably another two hours on this session very happily uh, and very engagingly. And the comments that are coming in are massive. The feedback and the questions, there's lots and lots of content coming in. We have about two minutes left to wrap up the session. So my question is this, right? Um, big numbers on today's session. Over 400 people have registered. They want to maximize their potential. We've given them lots of food for thought, lots of tips. If you could give them one key takeaway over the course of the next kind of two or three days, you know, it's a nice day for a session like this. It's on a Friday, the weekend's coming. If there was one key takeaway you wanted every single person and every single company who's on today's session to take from it, what would that key takeaway be? Can you give me 30 seconds and I'll do five? I can, it's all yours. <laughs> First is identify your inner world and the outer world. You're not defined by the outer world. So each and every day, ask yourself, how can I rebalance my system? Five deep breaths take you out of sympathetic nervous system into parrot. So am I breathing? Am I stopping to breathe? Am I calm? Second, what are the stories I'm telling myself? And are the words that I'm using, are they bringing fear and anxiety into myself? Or are they bringing calm and relaxed? Change your stories. Change the words you're using. Three, what are the foods I'm eating? If you're eating processed food, eating caffeine, then it's, it's sending distress signals all over your body. So ask yourself, is the food I'm eating healing me? Because remember, your immune system is largely in your gut. Your serotonin, which is your feel-good factor, is produced in the gut, and the brain and the gut are intimately linked. So to make good decisions, to be calm, to be present, we need to eat good food. And finally, ask yourself on any given moment, W-I-N, what's important now? If I really and truly loved myself, 
if I remembered how short and precious life is, and if I had the courage to follow my dreams and not worry what other people thought, what would I go after? Write that down and then go after that. Folks, there you have it. Five key takeaways from the amazing Jerry Hussey. I've been lucky to chat to Jerry several times, both in terms of interview and both as friends. He's an amazing guy. If you like what he talks about, do check him out on Instagram. And his new book also coming out in two weeks' time as well. So you can check that out in all good bookstores. Folks, that's it for another episode of Real Health with me, Carl Henry, in association with Leia Healthcare. A very special show, I'm sure you'll definitely agree. As ever, you know where we are, realhealthindependent.ie at Carl Henry PT on Twitter and on Instagram. And as ever, we're back next week with more real help. Leia Healthcare, looking after you always. Proud sponsors of Real Health with Carl Henry.